The Money Cafe is brought to you by Eureka Report, your one-stop shop for all things finance. To sign up for your free 15-day trial, head to eurekareport.com.au. Now it's time to enjoy today's episode. Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report, finance presenter on ABC News and columnist for The New Daily. And I'm James Thompson, Chanticleer columnist at the Australian Financial Review. And we are The, the Money, Money Cafe. Cafe, sitting here in Leclerc, and we uh, have Catherine and Zoe, who've joined us from the central coast of New South Wales. How good. How Welcome, good is that? Catherine so we, and Zoe. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, last week they wrote to us and said, where are you doing it? We're in Melbourne for a few days, would like to come and watch you do it, and... Um, and it's weighing down outside. <laughs> Melbourne's turned on a very special day of weather. As soon as we start uh, doing this, we can hardly <laughs> hear each other from the rain. It looks from a passing ra- shower, Alan. It's a passing shower. Oh, dear, oh, dear. It is Melbourne after all, not the central coast of New South Wales. Indeed. Oh, look at that. Okay. We can <laughs> keep going. Yeah, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. Hey, Greg, is it all right? It's okay. Greg's happy. So last night you were at the Channel 9 a uh, Christmas party, it being was, owned yes. by nine as you are, a exactly. TV, you're a TV star, of yes. course. <laughs> well, I'm no TV <laughs> star, but uh, I saw your son Chris there and lots of nine celebrities, so it was uh, quite a thing for the uh, AFR team to <laughs> see the bright lights of television and radio. So At Crown Casino, no less. Indeed, indeed. So it was good fun. Yeah. And I'm not too not too dusty today, which is good. Well, we just off for a minute there because uh, it was sounds like it was hailing. A rain delay. It was <laughs> it's a, like the cricket. It was, that's right. <laughs> we had to go off a, for bad weather. It was a rain delay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very good. Uh, anyway, um, I think we were up to my book club last night, which uh, was not as exciting as your uh, Crown Casino party. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm uh, sorry to hear uh, that. But anyway, it was very nice. Good. Good. Now, um... Now, what are our topics? Uh, well, we should start with interest rates. We should start with interest rates, which went up 25 basis points on Tuesday. Yes. Uh, as entirely expected. Yes. Pretty much. Oh, no, actually, there was a 25 to 30% odds on the market yeah. of, of, no, no, change, of no. no change. Well, I, I reckon the interesting thing, was, and it's really interesting, but the statement was interesting. And I think it's surprised a few economists because they, CBA particularly, had this is the last rate rise for the year. And all of a sudden, they were forced to say, oh, no, we've, there'll, be another, there'll be at least another one next year. Because that's what the statement said. We will have to continue to raise rates. I know, but, but surely haven't we come to the point now where we don't believe a word they say? <laughs> I mean, honestly. Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah. so you can't actually Economists take- or the RBA? The RBA. Okay. Yeah. No, but really, I mean, I, I know that there was, uh, you know, we, we don't want to go over and rake over the, the, the 2024 yeah. statements Thing, that began yeah. in November 2020 and went for more than 12 months. But, I mean, the point, the point is that uh, the jawbone, as it's called, yes. is a tool of monetary policy. Yes. So what, what they say is a tool of monetary policy. It isn't necessarily uh, an actual prediction. Yes. It's meant to influence behaviour now. Yes, that's true. So uh, what they're trying to do is augment their rate hike by saying, we'll do more. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean they will do more. Yes. It has to do with what they're saying. This is, I'm, Look, I mean, I'm probably wrong, but I'm just saying that that's what we should surely take out of the, the 2024 
mistake. It, it, it's a great problem, isn't it? And I thought his apology, um, which was a bit of a Clayton's apology, I'm sorry if you listen and acted. That's right. He like, actually not only implied that, he actually said, said that. It. It's a bit like, I, I wrote this, it's a bit like the um, apology, you know, celebrities give, I'm sorry if you were offended. <laughs> you know, it's, exactly. That's it's, right. It's a, it's a Clayton's apology. I think you're right about communication being a crucial tool for a central bank, and they've just lost the the power of that tool has been badly eroded. I, I, I still believe them. To no, a but it, there you are. So you said, oh, you know, that wasn't the last rate hike on Tuesday because they said that they'd do more. So you still believe? I them. still believe them. Yep. Yep. Right. I, and I and, and I don't. Yeah. Okay. Do you well, think there's another rate hike coming? I have absolutely no idea. Oh, I think there is. Certainly another rate hike coming. No, because, look, okay, so the next meeting is in two months' time. Yep. Um, it'll depend on what happens in those two months. Uh, but but we, don't, we won't know much more. We won't have another CPI. We'll have a monthly CPI, Prince. I just don't get how inflation comes down. I keep hearing inflation's coming down. It's probably peaked. And then we were at a, a business lunch yesterday, and the CEO was saying, oh, yeah, 5 to 10% wage pressure. Every one of my customers is seeing wage pressure, but inflation's zooming back down. I, I do not get it. I, I don't understand. I was I was reading Grant's Interest Rate Observer this morning, yeah. which is, you know, Jim Grant, who publishes that, has been around a long time, and he remembers the 70s uh, when Arthur Burns, who was the chairman of the Federal Reserve between 1970 and 1978, pre-Volcker, yes. uh, who... Um, uh, was expressing anguish in 1979 because they didn't do enough yeah. to, to crunch inflation. And uh, although they did increase interest rates, this is the point that Jim Grant was making, is that they, they did increase interest rates, but they didn't persist for long enough yeah. Yeah. To, to, to get rid of the inflation expectations out of the system. Yeah. So they put them up and then put them down again, right? And what Volcker had to do was come in and put them up and put them up and put them up until there was a massive recession. Yeah. And that, that then got rid of inflation entirely. So that was the point of Jim, Grim, Jim Grant was making, and, and he's, he's a rate hawk yes. you know, from way well, back. And it's interesting you say that. I'm actually thinking of writing about this this morning. You know, China's reopening. Everyone's getting very excited. But the problem is that a, 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 a booming China, that could bring another wave of inflation as, you know, their economy sort of expands and uh, faces a few sort of pressures um, yeah, no, that's fair enough. So uh, it's, it, 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 there's an awful lot to play for. You're probably right. We shouldn't bother with too much about anyone's predictions, whether they're the RBA or an economist. But so you've been writing about um, uh, Andrew Forrest buying a business called CWP for four billion dollars this week. Yes. What's CWP? It owns uh, solar energy, does it? Uh, wind farms are its big asset. So a big wind farm in New South Wales, big wind farm in Victoria, another five. Uh, gigawatts of projects in the pipeline, maybe mainly wind, a bit of solar, lots of firming. So I think the interesting thing here is obviously Andrew Forrest has been running around talking about green hydrogen and it's a cool idea and, you know, it sounds very high tech, but it's probably 10 to 15 years away on a commercial scale sense, right? This stuff is right here, right now. He knows. Yeah, but, yeah, but the interesting thing is that he's been shoving his Fortescue shareholders into hydrogen, which is, as you say, a long way off. Yes. And he's putting his own money, not Fortescue's, into solar and wind. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's a fair call. Yeah. But I think I, I think the bigger point here is that Forrest is now going to be key 
to getting coal-fired power out of the system. He's now the, big, the biggest owner of renewable assets in the country, and if we want to get coal-fired power out of the system, it's currently 60% of the NEM, the National Electricity Market. Andrew, All roads are going to go through Andrew Forrest to an extent. So, I mean, is that good? Is that bad? I'm not sure, but it, it, it puts him in a very powerful position to have a lot of sway over this transition in, a, in quite a that, realistic way. I suppose the saying that comes to mind is it's a tough job. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, so, someone's going to be the biggest owner of uh, of renewable energy. I mean, I don't know. What, what proportion of new renewable energy will he have? Just be, just being the biggest doesn't necessarily mean that he's in charge. Yeah, that's a fair call. Um, I, I guess his pipeline's sort of 20, megawatt, uh, 20 gigawatts. So um, quite if all of that comes that's to fruition, he's, uh, and that's, that's going to take 30 years, but it, it, it's, it, it puts him centre stage, probably with origin if, if Brookfield does get the deal done. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. For me, it's sort of the move from the theoretical with green hydrogen to the practical with actual wind farms operating right now. Yes. So interesting. It is. Now, what do you think about the market at the moment? Well, I saw your very interesting thing on the uh, um, ABC News where the all ordinaries on a total returns basis, so including dividends, was back positive for the year. And you sort of think, it's been an exhausting, dramatic year, and here we are, no damage done. I know, no harm, no foul. So, I mean, d- d- does that feel? It doesn't feel right to me, and I know this is stupid. Like, what? Well, as I pointed out, I there have been three pretty, pretty solid co- corrections yeah. during the year. One of them, sixteen percent, which is the largest between April and June. Yeah. Um, but if you think of all the excesses in the world since the GFC, all that cheap money, all those zero interest rates, all the stimulus during the pandemic, does it feel right that the equity markets have gone, eh, okay, we'll take 10% off the top? Oh, it, it, that doesn't quite capture it for me. I suppose the thing we need to just bear in mind is it's all about the rally of the last two months. Yes. Which has got it back to – got the market back to square. Yes. And – that's been all about commodity prices and mainly mining stocks. Mining stocks are up a lot yeah. in yeah. the last couple of months. Um, and that's really perfectly understandable because yeah. of uh, um, commodity prices, which have you know gone up so much this year yeah. uh, as a result of the war in Ukraine, yes. really. And, and it shows our leverage, local market leverage to those commodity prices where we didn't fly as high when tech was going crazy in 2020 and 2021. And it's also true that, fallen as far. And it's also true that the banks are um, in positive territory for the year because interest rates are rising and their, yeah. uh, their margins expand. They've had an extraordinary rally over the last three months. Most of them are up 20%. So, Yeah, so the, 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 um, the lunch you and I were at yesterday was a, was a bank uh, and it's worth noting... <laughs> One of the big four banks, and it's worth noting how negative they are about um, the smaller banks for next year. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, well, well, they were saying that things are going to be tough next year for yeah. banks in yeah. general, but especially tough for smaller banks because they don't have a big deposit base. Yes, and there's going to be a lot of competition for deposits in the second half of the year. Yes, as the economy slows. and also also wholesale money is expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those banks that rely on wholesale funding are in strife. Yeah, yeah. I sh- we should say, Alan, that you called the top of the 
that rally perfectly. I think uh, Wall Street's been down three straight days. <laughs> so I think there's a bit of – it's interesting that, that the, the sort of optimism has come out and now – Suddenly, everybody in the US is going, oh, that recession stuff might actually be right. So, let's see what happens. I think the first half of next year is going to be very tough for equity investors, for yeah. stock markets. Hey, I'll give you a preview. I've done a – I'm recording a Sunday thing. I do it every second week. I do a thing mm. on Sunday mm. for the ABC News, and I'm recording it later on today. And the, the, you might be interested in the point that I'm making, which is that uh, everyone's saying that America will have a recession, yep. but Australia probably won't. Yep. And the difference between them is um, the labour market. So wages in America are very strong. Yes. Uh, Australia, not so much. And you can see, the, you can see the, the, the basis for that in the labour market figures. Employment in Australia yep. has recovered to being abo- well above what it was before the pandemic. In America, employment has not recovered. Yeah, okay. And it's still well below what it was. Yes. Um, yes. that, is to, that is to say the number of employed people. So the labour market is tighter in America because yeah. there's less employed people. Yeah. And the, and the reason for that is because the participation rate in America has not recovered back to what it was. In Australia, participation is back to what it was. Right. But in America, it's not. Okay. And the big difference is female participation, which in Australia has continued to rise. Right. And female participation has been rising for years, but it's really strong and it's, and it's bounced right back now. Yeah, right. Uh, in America, female participation has been flat and falling for years and has not recovered. Okay. And the difference is, this is my, this is my this is your theory the- thesis. <laughs> the difference is two things. One, house prices. Uh, Australian house prices are much higher than America. Right. Yeah. And have risen much more. So therefore. Um, uh, both both partners in the, in the family have to go out to work to pay the mortgage, pay the mortgage in yeah, Australia, okay. whereas in America less so. And the other thing is in America, childcare is a nightmare. Yeah, okay. But Australia, we complain about childcare, but it's actually okay. Right. And it's not that expensive. So the difference, the, the reason that Australia escapes a recession next year is because of childcare and high house prices. Ergo, it's because of women. Yeah, well, because women in the in yeah. the workforce, uh, boosting the number of employed people and holding down wages. Interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. There you go. I was, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the jobs market. <laughs> so that's you've, a, you've honed in the right spot. The jobs market in both countries is going to tell the story in the ne- next that's year, right. I think. Uh, so yes, that was a little preview. Um, okay, so. Uh, Questions. Mark says, I was catching up on listening to the episode a couple of weeks ago, and don't you think if unlisted assets are nearly 50% in industry super funds, having three days to pay out rollovers is a time bomb waiting to explode? If there was a lock-up period future fund, I would understand. Um, uh, Technically, though, if if industry super funds receive rollovers because of bad performance, for example, they may have to freeze the funds. Surely we learned from the 2008 MTAA experience. Now, the MTAA is the Motor Traders Association... Uh, super fund yep. for uh, car sales people and mechanics and stuff and mechanics yep. and stuff yep. uh, and they went big into infrastructure big huge huge <laughs> and uh, got caught Did in the caught, yep. in the GFC yep. uh, and couldn't sell their assets yes and actually kind of went bust yeah way. yeah struck huge trouble I, I think that is instructive as to what could happen but. Um, I guess uh, you'd, you, we should point out that 14 years down the track, most of the super funds are huge <laughs> themselves, and so would have no should have no issues meeting 
um, redemptions or withdrawals. I mean, there could be stresses though, and and we did see during the pandemic when the government suddenly said, oh, you can take 10 grand out of your super. The super industry bit back pretty hard at that to say, hang on, that's a liquidity, an unexpected liquidity drain, and our, our money's tied up in some things. So, yeah, that's definitely a risk. I, I don't, I'm not, not sure it's a material risk, but it is a risk that both fund you'd members... A, I think you'd need another GFC. Yeah, you'd need something terrible to happen, uh, but that's could, could uh, happen. Things, terrible things do happen, exactly. do they not? But I, 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 Mark's raised a good point. You, you just want to be aware of these risks yeah, and that they exist um, and, and keep checking your fund and make sure you're comfortable with that. Your turn. Matt's just wondering if you were able to shed any light on why the annual rate of inflation is often quoted when discussing inflation, as opposed to monthly or quarterly. Seems less relevant to get a gauge on the current trend of inflation by comparing current CPI to 12 months ago, as opposed to a month or three or six months ago. Yeah, I think this is a really vexed issue as to how do you... Because I think uh, just quoting the monthly rate of whatever it is, 0.2 or 0.3, is not yeah. that meaningful. It yes. needs to, you need to quote a ma- manual, uh, an annual figure, but... Question is whether you do the last twelve months or do you or do you annualise the monthly number? That is to say, multiply it by twelve. Yeah, okay. And I think, I think it's could go either way, really. Yeah. Because I mean, because Matt's right. The the current the, the the inflation rate between last month and this month is more relevant than what happened over the past twelve months because the CPI twelve months ago might have been down or up for some particular reason yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, there might be a base effect that is kind of distorting. Yes. I mean, the simple answer is you want both, don't you? You want to see the longer-term change and the more recent change. What's the pace doing? So I guess that's right. But we don't. We don't have to choose. No, but we. <laughs> the thing is, we do. The thing is, when we report in the media, yes. when we report inflation, we say inflation is whatever it is. Yeah, X. true. Here's true, a number. True. That's the number we, we pick. We a number, and it's usually the number of the past twelve months. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, uh, but look, uh, it's interesting in America they. They do the same thing with they do the past twelve months, but on GDP in the US, they annual annualise the quarterly change. Right. Okay. Whereas we here, when the GDP came out yesterday, we quoted five point nine percent GDP. Yes. Which was twelve month change. Right. right? It was not the annualised qu- uh, quarterly number, which is 0.6. If you analyse that, it's two point four. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. So if we're in America, our our GDP number yesterday would have been two point four percent. Right. That's what the, that's that what the ABS really is impressive, Alan. Precisely, <laughs> and so that actually tells you the big difference between annualising the current number yeah. and taking the past year. Oh. That's really you know my, my head hurts. I mean, our GD, if if we're in America, our GDP yesterday would have been two point four percent. That's what the ABS would have reported. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and would not have reported 5.9%. So it's just... Uh, it's funny about we don't have international standards for this stuff. I know. <laughs> it's lies, damn lies and statistics. <laughs> That's exactly right. Lockie says, um, I've got a uh, question about Suncorp, which I hope you're able to answer. As they are in the process of selling their banking business to ANZ to concentrate wholly on insurance, will my shares now become purely Suncorp insurance shares or will I get some ANZ shares as part of the deal? I'm not convinced insurance is something I'd like to have a large portion of my investment tied up in, and I'm thinking of selling a fair percentage of them and investing in something else, but I would like to know exactly what's happening before I do that. Uh, Lockie, you will not receive ANZ shares. You will receive uh, Suncorp takes the money and then we'll decide what to do with it. It will probably give you some back in the form of a share buyback or bigger dividends, but you will, won't get 
ANZ shares, and Lockie is right, he will end up in a pure play insurer. So if he doesn't want that, he should take some of them. He should sell some shares, take the money, and buy some ANZ stock. And, and uh, if I may say, Lucky, just this is just a personal view, uh, not a not a recommendation. General advice. Yes, this is general advice. Um, uh, I don't reckon you want to be in insurance. I reckon insurance is a bad bad business now. This is my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I I, I, had, I interviewed at length the head of the Australia, Insurance Council of Australia, uh, Andrew Hall, the other day, uh, and I really pressed him on. So is is climate change good or bad for insurance companies? Because they're getting a lot more policies. Premium, yep. They're getting they're getting more higher premiums. People more people are taking out insurance. Um, he, he wasn't he, he didn't willingly answer it, but in the end, I think the answer is it's bad because the claims are more yes. or worse than yes. the benefits. And the insurers are starting to have an issue with reinsurers who are the reinsurers are the insurers who provide insurance to insurers, if that makes sense, because they are looking at Australia and saying, a lot of bad stuff happens here every year. So it, we're going to make it harder for you to get reinsurance in yeah. Australia, and that will flow through to our premiums and their profits. Yeah, so I think uh, I think Tough insurance companies is going to struggle yeah. Yeah. forever. For- forever? Forever. Oh. Well, because... The, Climate change is going to get better, Because the it? temperature's going up, you yeah. know, it's not actually going to be... The, the world is not doing enough. Yes, the world is not doing enough. Uh, from Lock, Lockie to Lachlan, whenever the news reports on median house prices, it differentiates according to capital cities, Sydney or Melbourne or whatever. But whenever incomes are discussed, it's often one figure for the entire country. Just as there are different property markets, there must surely be different income demographics. Would you have any data on how the mean incomes differ by cities? Uh, as it's all good and well to know what median house price in Melbourne or Sydney is, but I wonder what the respective mean incomes of these cities are so you can figure out exactly what your purchasing power is. Great point. Yeah. I, th- I think we do know that stuff, don't we? I think so. I think the ABS has that data. Yeah. yeah. And we don't report it. We don't report it, but it's, it is it is an interesting point. Mm. I don't actually know the disparity in incomes is as great as Lockie might think, though. Lock and I think, the dif- think. I think the difference in incomes is not as great as the difference in house no, prices. No, I think but, that's you know, right. Nowhere near it. Because if fact. you think about it, we have a lot of national businesses who are setting wages nationally. Um, I did an exercise the other day. I didn't do this on incomes, but I, but I was doing an, I did an exercise the other day of looking at how um, all the different house price markets in Australia have changed as a percentage of Sydney's house price. Right, yes. <laughs> and That would have been instructive. Uh, they've all uh, gone up. So um, Sydney really boomed and now it's falling fastest, right? Yeah, so they've all, all of them have been catching up to Sydney. Yep, um, yep. Except I'm just trying to think, I think, uh, except Darwin, I think. Right, okay. but but Hobart's gone from forty nine percent of Sydney to something like sixty percent of Sydney. Perth, on the other hand, no, it's, Perth's gone the other way. It's Perth ten years ago, Perth was ninety three percent of cities. This is Perth medium, median was ninety three percent of uh, Sydney's median, and is now fifty percent. It's gone from Perth's median. It's gone from. It's right. I'm just thinking, just remembering this. I've got this spreadsheet on my computer here. Perth's median has gone from above 90% of Sydney's to 50%. Wow. In 10 years. That's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Jeez. That's because of the rise in Sydney. Yeah. But also Perth's Perth's gone nowhere. 
Well, you couldn't get into the joint for two years, so maybe that didn't help. <laughs> Milan says, I love listening to the show on my way to work. Uh, I'm a young engineer working in manufacturing. Good on you, Milan. I had a question about the fees for ETFs. For example, Vanguard's ETF product for Australian shares, VAS, has a management fee of 0.1% per annum. They say it's calculated as a percentage of your money invested. Is this fee taken out of the distributions that Vanguard gives me? Or is it taken out of the account of the unit price itself or is it some other source? Go. I, I don't know, I confess. Of course, it's just it's, it's just, just taken it, out. It's clipped off his, uh, off his fund. Yeah. No, no, it's not. He gets the distribution. Oh, it's just taken off the, the unit price. Well, yeah. yeah. It's it's t- taken out of his, just taken out of his money. Right, okay. You know. Gotcha. You know, what if the fee if the fee is 100 bucks? Suddenly, you've got hundred dollars less invested. Yes. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Your turn. Oh, D- Doug says, "Could I very ask?" Humbly- oh yeah. Oh, oh. this question. <laughs> Doug says, "Could I very humbly ask you to stop demonising white males? It's bad enough that my son and his school friends were singled out to stand up in class to acknowledge their white privilege." Really? Oh, that's. But now the money cafe as well. Pull him out of the school, Doug. That's terrible. We listen to this show together and it's very awkward and unnecessary conversation to have. As I've raised him as a good human, he should not be made to feel embarrassed about his sex or skin colour. They're just innocent kids and they don't need to be constantly reminded of how bad they are. Just because they are white and male all of the time. It's 2022. It's time to stop referencing sex and colour. Fair enough. I reckon if, if they've got if they've been told to get up and acknowledge their white privilege in class, that is absolutely terrible. Uh, What's no. going on? Well, uh, hey, uh, it, it, it uh. Is, it's a bit embarrassing. But I've got to say, I don't think it is time to stop referencing sex and colour because if you're a female or you're a person of colour, they don't, you don't get to stop referencing it. You're, it. You have to reference it every single day, and so. Uh, yes, that's a bit of a harsh exercise, but yeah, the po- okay, it right. does have a no, point. Fair right? enough. You pull me up. It's it does have enough. a point to say. You just and they should. And, and kids and and young white males sort of recognise yeah. the privilege that they have. Yeah, yeah fair enough. No, I think. I think yeah, no. it, 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 okay. it's delivered in a harsh way, but I, I, I reckon it's great, Doug, that you and your son listen to this together, and you can have a chat about it and go, look, it's not great, but think of how other people are living their lives and being treated. Yeah, we yeah. just got to remember. Yeah, fair we, we we do have it. <laughs> white males uh, uh, remain at the top of the heap, and we we got it good. So you got to remember that. Zoe over there uh, is uh, nodding along with me, and I appreciate your support, Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter says would would uh, welcome your thoughts on the recent CBR merger news, which has seen the share price drop again to its most recent low of fifteen cents. How can a supposedly great modern manufacturing company benefit benefiting from government grants plummet so far? It was four bucks, now fifteen cents. Have you looked into this? CBR is Carbon Revolution, right? Yeah, they're really struggling. I think they're struggling for funding, um, uh, and the merger terms. Are they uh, the ones that make carbon wheels? Carbon fibre wheels, yeah. yeah right. So that they've been. They're, they're a bit specialised. They're very specialised, and I think they've been. The funding is the issue, and where's the money going to continue to come from? It's a it's a cash burning business, and I think that's what you're seeing here. The, the merger is. Part of a bit of a. Does the merger mean they've given up? I don't think so, but it's 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 sort of you know the the next rescue plan. So I think that's what you're seeing here, Peter. It's um uh, a promising manufacturing business that's struggling to get scale and get cash. Okay. Ian says, 
Could you please comment on two bids for Oz Minerals, which is uh, a bid from BHP, and for Origin, which is a bid from uh, Brookfield and a company called uh, EIG. EIG. Um, how would you rate them as likely to be going ahead and what obstacles do you see in the way? How far off would any results be? Well, they're going ahead, aren't they? Uh, they're not officially. Both are in due diligence. So that I think um, we're probably four weeks into Origin's due diligence period, but it's an agreed bid. The board has backed it. I wouldn't think there's any gremlins in the closet there, so I'd expect that one to go ahead. And Oz, I think it will go ahead. The only sort of little uh, point of interest is the uh, copper price. If the copper price was suddenly to spike then or suddenly to plummet, then Oz or BHP might say, hang on, we need to adjust the price here. But I think probably both going ahead, um, probably both mergers will take effect first half of next year. There you are, Ian. You heard it. <laughs> you heard it from the, said, from the said oracle. Said with much of confidence there, but... Mark says, just, Mark says, just had a curious thought going through my head in regards to company AGMs. Is there any correlation with share price and percentage of votes against the resolutions put forward, possibly a sign of unhappy shareholders? If so, what sort of percentage would be a red flag? 5, 10, 20%? That's a great question. Mm. I, I reckon um, a strike against a remuneration report, so a vote against requires 25%. Yes. I reckon that's a good, not necessarily a red flag, but definitely an orange one to say there's unhappiness at this company. Yes. You should try and figure out why people are unhappy. And it could be lots of reasons. The performance... Because it's, it's rarely just the Rarely just the pay. It's, it's almost never the pay. Yeah, <laughs> but, but that's the only way you get to object, really. Yeah. 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 But I think that is... A, a Mark's hit on a nice little thing to look at. This is why the AGM is important. Yeah. Uh, Tom says, I enjoy your podcast and nightly analysis on the idiot box. As an avid young investor, I'm curious into your thoughts as why inflation doesn't translate to share market prices. If anything, the ASX is bearish. My thoughts are that the price for goods and services have increased almost overnight. Assuming this, wouldn't this lead to record company revenue streams in the future? Is it as simple as a pessimistic sentiment outweighing non-crystallized future earnings? Shares seem like they're a bargain, at least to me at the moment. Uh, In the long term, they always are a bargain. (laughs) Secondly, several months ago, you made a call out to get more women on the podcast. When will you have a female special guest or more importantly, on staff? We did have a female guest. We had the super coach. We did a whole episode. Tom, thanks for listening. But, you know, we don't have guests in this podcast. This is just us, you know. He raises a good point about a female presenter. Um, <laughs> I think the one problem, Tom... Instead of white males. You exactly. <laughs> one problem with Tom's theory of inflation is, yes, it will inflate revenue, but it also inflates costs. And so uh, inflation means pressure on margins, which means pressure on earnings, which means pressure on stock prices. So, y- yes, you're right, Mark, that revenue is going to go up, but you're forgetting that inflation lifts costs as well. So that's why it's... And sometimes it lifts costs more than... Indeed. More than uh, prices. So, yes. You know. Particularly when we get to this point that we're approaching now where prices have been relatively easy to pass on because everyone's been cashed up. They're starting to not have as much cash. Prices will not be as easy to pass on. Well, that's it. End of questions. Thanks for listening, everybody, to today's episode of Money Cafe. Stephen Maynard will be back next week along with James. Are we not? Yes. We're doing a triple Christmas header. Special. We're doing a Christmas header, a Christmas special next week. 
the three of us will be in it, and uh, possibly it's going to go for an hour, I think. Is it? Yeah. Wow, that's going to be exciting. Put it in your diary. Oh, it's James. in my diary. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. but put it in for Locked an hour. Lock out the morning. Lock out your morning, that's <laughs> right. Uh, so send in your questions for our... Our bumper issue next week. Yes. Can't wait. Uh, the Money Cafe at EurekaReport.com.au. Until then, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report and all the other things. And I'm James Thompson, Sean Declare columnist at the Australian Financial Review. See you next week. And thanks to our special guests. Thank you, Catherine and Zoe. <laughs> Yay. Yay.